Cornerstone Bible Fellowship's online sermons. Join us each week as we dig into the truths of God's Word. You can find our sermons online at cbf.us slash sermons. We'd love to have you join us for a worship service this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. at our campus at 7351 Warden Road in Sherwood, Arkansas. Now, let's listen to this week's sermon. So, um, we're going to be picking up here in just a minute in the latter part of, of John 4. But to, to set the stage, um, and we'll talk a little bit about agriculture, and, and I by no means pretend to be an expert in agriculture. There's probably quite a few in here that know much more than I do about it. But I did work on a farm. Uh, my, my family has a, a decent-sized farm um, not far from here, and for a couple summers I worked out there, and throughout the year I'd go up there and help. And one of the coolest things that, and I still remember this as, as just a little guy, one of the, the, the coolest things was during harvest season when all of the big things were coming in to the farm. Like I remember going out, going up there and standing outside and, and watching my grandfather from a distance and, and occasionally being able to get on the tractor with him and go out and, and plow the fields or, or plant. Um, but it was, it was that time of the year when the harvest came when there was more than just my grandfather's uh, couple tractors and his couple workers. There was a, an influx of, of presence on the farm where the, the uh, grain trucks came in and, and pulled the grain. And there was just lines and lines of trucks down our little dirt road. And so I remember watching that um, and just being, being in awe of how many people it took to harvest a field. Um, on the other side of that, when I actually had to start doing that, I, I, I did not look forward to that time of the year because it meant increased hours, increased work, long days, and, and oftentimes um, skipped meals. And so that, I have a respect for that. that that's uh, one of the reasons why I don't do that because I, I don't know that I could take that all the time. And so I respect farmers that can um, that, that do that year in and year out because it is a big undertaking, especially when you have a, a significant farm. And so this morning as we jump into this last part of, of or the, the middle half of this uh, section in John 4, if you would, I'm going to have you stand in, in honor of God's word. And we'll pick up in, in John four twenty seven says, just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the, word, uh, of the woman's testimony. 
He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard, with our, uh, we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this indeed is the Savior of the world. After the two days, he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he got to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. Father, we thank you for your word and how um, it illuminates in our, in, our, in our hearts, your Holy Spirit. And Father, as, as we dive into your word this morning, I pray that, that, that you change lives, that you convict souls, and Lord, that, that you lead us as you would. Father, thank you so much for your word and for every opportunity that we have to gather together and open it. Lord, we love you and we praise you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. So last week, uh, one, of the, one of Jason's closing comments was evangelism ends in a decision. And that's so true, but on the other side, we see that evangelism also starts with a decision. A decision to go out, to, to carry that conviction of the Holy Spirit into others' lives. But very rarely will you see a non-believer that's seeking something larger than themselves come into a church without being invited. Very rarely will, will you see um, a non-believer intentionally open Scripture other than to try to disprove it. And we have an opportunity that, that I, personally, I don't take advantage of often enough. As I was preparing for this morning, there were a couple things that, that, real, that didn't shock me because I'd heard them before, but put meat to what it means to go out. One of those was it takes eight times for someone to hear the gospel before they make a decision to follow. And I think, the, I think that's changed a little bit. It's like 7.7 times, but, I mean, we can round that up. Um, in the United States, there, uh, of, our, of our population, 48% are unchurched, which... Ten years ago, it was, it was much higher, or it was much lower that weren't unchurched, or so they claimed. And so, as we look into our lives, as we look into what we do on a day-to-day basis, there's so many opportunities that, that we have to take advantage of, that we have the decision to go out and do the work that God's called us to, or to recluse back into our, ourselves. And, and I'll be honest, evangelism's one of the hardest things that, that I do. Um, it's, it's not comfortable. It's not, it's not something that I necessarily look forward to. However, when, when someone gives their life to Christ, it's so encouraging and so exciting. Uh, today, there are, uh, it, we give, uh, I'll say, I'll say we broadly, but I give Millennials and, and Gen Z uh, a hard time because they want to argue all the points. But really, one of, the, one of the articles that I read said that they are the most on fire for Christ right now because they want something to believe in. They want a cause. They get behind causes and, and research and, and look into it and prove for themselves who Christ is. Now, that doesn't, 
that doesn't say that somebody's not there that's, that's older walking beside them and helping them understand that. And so as we, as we look at the word in John, we see some of these things. So first off, evangelism is of Christ. He sends us out to go do the work that, that he's led us to, that we, that we were saved from, that we've been convicted of. And it, and it makes us overcome barriers. Um, it, it helps us to re- pull our guard down for just a moment and be a little vulnerable. I know in my life, one of, one of the things that, that, always, that, that I can always prompt a conversation with is who was I before Christ? And the, there's a danger in that, though, that, that, we, that, that sometimes I tend to glorify who I was in the past instead of talking about the sin and the conviction that I was saved from. And we see right here in verse 27, as the disciples are making their way back, and they're looking at Jesus talking with this woman and wondering to themselves, why is he talking with her? Um, in, in that culture, it was so taboo for a rabbi to talk with a woman. But here Jesus is, the the disciples are witnessing Jesus having this conversation. But then what, what what they don't, what the disciples don't recognize is that as the woman went away, and maybe they did, uh, there's, uh, it doesn't specifically say this one way or the other, but John does point out, she left her water jar. And, that was, that was a necessary item of living. And so when we, when we look at this, we see that, that this boundary of her shame, the Holy Spirit has overcome and placed in her a new heart. Because as she's leaving this water jar, it signifies a couple things. One, she left in a hurry. Because she was going to tell others who this person is, what Jesus has done. But not only did she leave in a hurry, she left with the intention of coming back. She wouldn't have gone and never came back to this because she needed it. The barrier that she overcame to go into this town that she was all but ostracized from, she buried her shame, overcame. The Holy Spirit gave her power to to overcome this and go to the people that had ostracized her for her adultery, for her five husbands, and said, you don't, have to bear, you don't have to carry that burden anymore. Go and tell. And we'll see in just a minute, the disciples also got to witness her bringing the crowds back. As the crowds were overcoming their prejudice, overcoming their barrier of uh, separation of, of Jews and Samaritans. And the disciples are right there the whole time witnessing all of this. Evangelism is a process, though. And we see that, that part of this process is urgency to go and do The woman left her water jar and came back. The crowds left their town to come out to this well, which was outside of town. But then Jesus starts talking with the disciples while the woman goes into town. As they're urging him to eat, 
He says, I have food to eat that you do not know about. And so the disciples are puzzled. Did somebody bring him food? And I think that what, what I forget is sometimes there are more important things than, than the food at hand. I, one, of the, one of the things that when I was working on the farm that kind of always blew me away is, was my grandfather could go a long time without eating. Now, we, ha- we always had a big breakfast, but it would be 1 or 2 o'clock before we would go in for lunch. In fact, I, I remember when I first started working for him, I don't, I don't know if I had a watch, but, you know, I could, I could sense that it was getting lunchtime. And I would ask him, hey, Grandpa, is it time to go eat yet? He'd say, when the work is finished. Okay, 10 minutes later, Grandpa, is the work finished yet? Is it time to go eat? No, when the work's finished. And over and over for a couple of weeks, I would ask that until finally it dawned on me, we're not going anywhere until this work is done. And my grandmother, as, as sweet as she is, or as sweet as she was, would either bring food to me. She didn't bring my grandfather any because she knew he wouldn't stop eating. Or she, or stop to eat. Or she, we, out at our farm, we've got a big um, cast iron bell. And that was, when she'd go out there and ring that, we'd sig- that, that would be our signal to come back in. And um, as soon as she'd went out and rang it, it's like my grandfather couldn't hear it ringing. Um, but I, I felt like a little bird dog getting ready to go. Um, but then he would say, it's not time yet. She, and, and he would, my grandmother would know. They would come in when it was time. And when we went in, she'd have everything ready. But just reading back over this passage of Jesus saying, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. My grandfather was on a mission. It it was a mission for him, for his livelihood. Because whatever he didn't get done then, he would have to do later, probably by himself. And and as I read back through this passage, I was like, it, it just reminded me that too often I get in a place where, I'm, where I want to do other things. Because I, either I don't see the immediate fruit from evangelism or, or having these conversations with friends that seem like they're going nowhere. I want to go do something that I can see the reward, the immediate satisfaction. But Jesus said, I have food that you do not know about. I, I have a lot of habits, and, and it's my wife's not in here, or she'd be over there nodding her head. I have a lot, of, not a, a lot of hobbies, not habits. I have a lot of habits too, but I have a lot of hobbies, and it's easy for me to get in and, and start working on something and forget about what time it is until she comes out and reminds me, because I'm I, that passion of doing something, completing a, a task or working on a project overcomes. So many other things. But yet when it comes to sharing the gospel, when it comes to pouring out my passion of of following Jesus to others, I'm so afraid I'm going to mess it up. Which puts up a barrier that I still have to overcome. So evangelism, this process of evangelism, there is urgency to it. But it also takes someone willing to teach. And, and as, as we go out, we're all equipped to share the gospel. Because if you profess Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you have a testimony. 
And, and if you have a testimony, you have something to share. But if you always, if you never share it and you keep it to yourself, then you're forsaking the, the, the prize that Christ has afforded us through his blood. Um, one of the analogies that, that I've used with our youth in the past is if, if you were sick and I had the one antidote that would make you well, wouldn't you want it? And the answer is yes, I would. But if I withheld it, it would do you no good. And so as, as we go out and are called to proclaim in obedience the gospel, if we withhold that, we're doing the same thing that one would be withholding an antidote for. We're not, we're not leading. We're not saving. And, and through the Holy Spirit, we're called to do that. And it, this process of evangelism doesn't, most of the time, it's not a one-step process. It takes a multitude, eight times, for someone to hear the gospel before they believe. One of the, uh, one of the, the diagrams, of course, there's, all, there's diagrams for all of these things that show where you're at in, in evangelism or where the person you're talking to is. But the, there's one that, that particularly struck me. It said, the furthest away from understanding who God is, is the, the first step is having an awareness of, of a supreme being but no effective knowledge of the gospel, meaning you acknowledge something bigger than yourself, but you don't know what the gospel is, all the way down to leading to repentance and faith in Christ. And, and all these steps between take someone standing beside, working through. And so we see the woman left her water jar, urgently going back, we see Jesus saying, I have food to eat that you don't know anything about. And then he picks up and says, do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest. He says, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already, the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. So that sower and reaper may rejoice together. As we entered into harvest time at the farm, at the end of the season, our, this little community that my, my grandparents lived in would have a, a they didn't car, call it a harvest fest, that there was no catchy names to it. It was just harvest dinner. And everybody would bring food to this thing. And I remember just loving it because all the, all the kids my age were there just running around and playing. Everybody was rejoicing that the work is done. Together, they, in this community, they came together and completed the work. And that meant my grandfather and I went to other farms and harvested or baled hay or whatever. But no one finished until the work was done. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Evangelism requires everyone to participate. I grew up in church and I was not saved until I was in my early 20s. 
I walked away from the church because it seemed too strict or I didn't know what I believed or both. Um, and I, even when, when, when I was invited to church, I would fight it other than Mother's Day, Christmas, and Easter. But what I, what I experienced at the moment that, that Jesus redeemed me, that I acknowledged him as my Lord and Savior, was so transforming that it changed everything from there out. We lost friends. We lost, well, family. Because we were on fire. And one of my warnings is, don't get complacent in that. Because it's easy to do. It's easy to ch- it was easy for me for a while to check off that one saved box and say, okay, I've hit my one. I'm done now. But then uh, the more I dove into Scripture and the more God convicted me that I wasn't done, the more I, I fought that barrier and that burden to go out until I did. And then here we are. <laughs> And so as we join together in our labors, we celebrate with one another. And it's not always the easiest thing. Um, one, of the, one of the books that I read for our class recently, is um, it was called Everyday Evangelism. And in there, it, one, of the, one of the authors wrote, be obedient to your higher calling. And that higher calling is, part of that higher calling is to go out, to proclaim his name. And, and as Jesus is reminding the disciples here, he's also showing us that, that we can do this not just within our own neighborhoods, but we can do it cross-culturally, that we can do it around the world. And though there's a huge need here, we have there are needs everywhere in the world. And we have, we have friends among us today that, that go out and spread the gospel into places that Jesus' name has never been heard of. In dangerous situations. And among people who don't want them there. And I can imagine that the disciples at this point too are, are looking over their shoulders as they hear a crowd coming up and, and wondering, is this it? Because they see the lady that Jesus was talking to. And so I, I, when I read this, I can't help but, but picture a movie scene where you look at the hill and all you see before you see anything is the dust coming up over the hill. And then you see this massive crowd of people. I'm sure there, there wasn't that many. But the disciples had to be questioning, what now? But I also think that Jesus is reminding them in, in, this, in this discourse here, saying that some will reap and, and others will sow. He's reminding them that the gospel transcends cultures. And that this woman, who if he would have sent the disciples into town and said, go preach the gospel, they probably would have been shooed out or booted out. But this woman was so equipped because these people knew her. They knew her past. And, he, and she went. 
And this woman started telling them about everything that Jesus had done, everything that Jesus had told her. And their curiosity, they came. So it takes many to do the work. John 9, 37 says, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the, work, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. He's sending them out. He sent them out. He's sending us out. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. So they came because of her testimony. They came to Jesus and and asked him then to stay for several days and many more were added to his number. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you have said that we believe for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this indeed is the savior of the world. And so this morning I, I want us to think about a couple things. Think of, for me, I had to think about who is that person that I've been praying for and what have I done to take that next step? Or what have I done to equip others to take that next step? Because sometimes that's what we're called to do, equip others to go out. Lee Strobel in one of his books said, almost every day we come to evangelistic turning points. We make choices whether to help rescue these people from danger or to walk the other way. We make spur-of-the-moment decisions whether to heroically venture into their lives and lead them to a place of spiritual safety or to merely hope that someone else will do it. We make split-second decisions all the time to either play it safe or to tilt the conversation towards spiritual topics. And many times we shrink back. We must, not, we must not shrink back. We must venture into the spiritual lives of others to point the way to Christ. Brandy and I have, have a friend, a couple, that, um, that we went to college with. And he was actually at one point ordained and, and walked completely away from Christ. And did so about... 10 years, 10, 12, 15 years ago. But every time he comes to town, we have lunch with him or coffee with him and his wife. And every time the conversation revolves around who Jesus is. And that's not something that we do, actually. He asks about it. Why are you so different than what I see on social media? Why are you guys so different than what I see in the news? And I can't answer that. I don't, I don't know. But what I know is God has continued to lay on our hearts this couple and their kids. So that one day, prayerfully, the Holy Spirit will convict him and show him who he is. This reaping and harvesting is weary at times too. And not only does it take the work. But it takes us encouraging one another. And, and as the disciples stayed there for two days, I can imagine that after, after a time, they loosened up and, and started having these same conversations. Because really, as, as we've seen already in John, they were called out. 
for something bigger than themselves. John the Baptist, Nicodemus, now the Samaritan woman. In 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 9, it says, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is, was, which is Jesus Christ. So the last thing, and I'll, and I'll close with this. As, as afraid of evangelism as I am, evangelism is also so exciting. And sometimes you have to work through a lot of, a lot of no's. A lot of things to see, to see a yes. When I was, before I started here, I worked for a bank. And part of my job was outside sales. And I just remember the first couple of weeks after training, getting so many no's. That I was wondering if this is what I should actually be doing. And for several years, I grew up and, and I grew up my my boldness. I was encouraged by the yeses. And, and as I started kind of tracking these yeses, I realized that it takes 10 no's for one yes. So when I looked at my daily schedule, I, I looked at it and said, okay, I have to call this many people to get this many yeses. And so one of the, one of the other challenges for you this morning is if it takes eight times for a person to believe the gospel... How many calls are you making? And I'm not talking physical calls. I mean, you can. But how many conversations are you having? And, and I'll, I'll admit, I'm not having near enough. So as we join in this harvest, as we rejoice together when, when we see the winds, we also remember that it's only through Christ's blood that any of this makes sense. Philippians 1, 9 through 11 says, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. We're not called to be successful. We're called to be faithful. And of, of those eight calls that I make, one win is enough to rejoice over. Brandy was not raised in the church. She didn't really know anything about it um, other than people went there on Sundays and Wednesdays and Easter and Christmas. And early in our marriage, as most young married couples do they go through we went through a time where it was difficult and I was still fighting church we had some friends that were in church and one of them one day came to her after a particularly hard day 
and said, I know what you need, but I can't give it to you. So Brandy asked, okay, what is it? She said, come with me on Sunday and I'll show you. And so that Sunday, Brandy went. I, I stayed in bed. And I'll never forget the excitement she had when she came back in, having not been raised in the church. And reluctantly, over the next couple of weeks, I continued to fight it because I remember that excitement. And then when I went, I saw something completely different than what I, what I, what I had experienced up to that point. And what I know is, had that not happened, I don't know where I would be today. I don't know where Brandy would be today. But, but the beauty behind that is I also can, can see and talk about the joy that has followed since that day. And if that's not enough to bring me back to church every week, then I don't know what is. Because on, that was only through the Holy Spirit. Because I would have probably been fighting it today still. And so as we close this morning, uh, the band's going to come back up. But I want to challenge you as you go out to be bold, to be courageous, to, to take a step.